Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this gathering, for the opportunity that you uh, provide for us and our schedules to come and um, hear what you might do in our lives. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for um, this food that you have provided for us and uh, the means uh, to pay for it. We ask that you would uh, bless the hands that prepared it, and that you would bless us now as we come and um, sit at the feet of uh, your servant, Gordon, and ask that you would uh, speak through him to us. We ask this uh, for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, just a couple things to say. Um, guys, just really glad. thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, taking the time. I uh, know that you could spend uh, this hour uh, in lots of different ways. And I'm uh, just really grateful and uh, glad for you that you have uh, chosen to spend it uh, here with us. Uh, just a couple things to say. This week we did start our Bible in a Year reading plan. That is... Um, uh, there are a, a few uh, sheets on the on the back table that I had left that uh, go through that re- reading plan. Uh, of course, we have a, a, a blog that is a new feature to our website at adventbirmingham.org slash blog. So, uh, and we post three, uh, four times a week: Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday on the on the readings for for that week. Um, it is, there is no pressure, but we sure love, if you're interested in that, to, to do as much of that as you are uh, able. We have gotten great feedback on it, and so so glad for, uh, and just hope it's a blessing to, to you and to your families. Um, want to let you know about a series, another sort of new thing that we're doing uh, this year is called the Faith and Family Series. Uh, the subtitle of that is uh, Good News for Parents Who Aren't Perfect. And we're going to do that every third Wednesday uh, during the school year, with the exception of December and May. Uh, I believe that's right, Cameron. Is that right? And uh, and there's various topics that we're going to offer. For Cameron, what's the uh, what's the first topic coming up? That's is this next Wednesday. Uh, what's the ne- the first topic? Busy all the time. Freedom for overbooked kids and parents. Um, there are two sessions. Uh, there's a, it's at Cranmer House. It is a, there's a 7 a.m. session and a 9.30 a.m. session. The 7 a.m. session is really, we're hoping that folks that um, can come before work. And so I hope that you would uh, feel free and, and encourage you to do that and, and let, I mean, bring a friend. You're, you're at soccer practice and you're going over to, uh, to p- pick up piano uh, rehearsal and, and you're overbooked and, and you see somebody else bedraggled like you are. Um, grab them and, and bring them on on uh, Wednesday morning. It'd be great. It'd help us if you um, if you registered. Uh, there's no cost to it, but it'd be uh, just to let us know how much coffee to, to brew. Uh, it'd be it would be great if you registered on our. Website. I think I feel like this is coming in and out. Um, the uh, other a couple other things. Uh, men's hike. Uh, there are a few spots left. We'd love for you to join us. If you don't have gear, we will find it for you. No sweat. October third um, through sixth. It's a great. Uh, great uh, event, and hope that you will do that. We got a great big group going this time, but we still have some more spots. And uh, finally, you may or may not have seen that we are having. We're going to host a uh, sort with the outreach department, the men's ministry department. There will be a men's uh, mission trip to Nicaragua, uh, to where uh, George Elliott's daughter uh, Elizabeth, our former youth director, assistant youth director, uh, is serving in Matagalpa, Nicaragua. We'll also spend some time in Managua. That is going to be January 11th uh, to 18th, Saturday to Saturday. 
And you can fill out an application for that. Uh, you can go on the men's ministry page on the website and get, get the application. Just email that application back to me. Um, and we will, I'll take a look at that. We will uh, move forward. So I'd uh, love for you to participate in that as well. If you've been looking for a way to sort of give um, expression, uh, sort of legs to your, to your faith, this may be a great way to, to do that. So those are, those are the kind of things I've got. Hope that... Um, Hope that you are uh, going to enjoy this. Uh, Gordon Bowles is a, a, a counselor, uh, and I have just heard nothing but great things from several uh, folks uh, who have who have sat under with your counseling and with you, and uh, just really appreciate you taking the time to be here. You started uh, Daymark Counseling in two thousand two. Is that uh, right? Ninety seven. At uh, ninety seven, and then um, and then uh, also teach some at Beeson. So thank you so much for being here, uh, Gordon Bowles. Well, it's great to be here. It's weird. I have different connections with people here from different parts of my life, so it's fun to be with some of y'all. Um, the way I teach, I want to, um, like, I'll unpack some things, and I really want to leave some time at the end, so I'll try to get done with a good 10, 15 minutes left where we can interact. Um, and at any point in between, if I say something that you want me to repeat or you got a question, just raise your hand up. As a counselor, I'm pretty comfortable with dialoguing and feedback, so feel comfortable if you say, hey, wait a minute, I don't like what you just said, or something like that. Um, I love to start with a question just to get us engaged in thinking, so I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> and it's going to be multiple choice, so it'll be a quiz, just one question, all right? A man of God is primarily recognized by the, okay? A man of God is primarily recognized by the, <clears throat> By the order in his home, that's A. By his knowledge of God's word, that's B. By the quality of his love, that's C. Uh, by the stewardship of his money, that's D. Or you can answer E, B and D, which is his knowledge of God's word or the stewardship of his money. Okay, so I'll say that again. A man of God is primarily recognized by the order in his home, his knowledge of God's word, the quality of his love, or the stewardship of his money, or his knowledge of God's word and the stewardship of his money. So, who would say A? A man of God is primarily recognized by the order in his home. We have any A takers? Anybody? All right. All right. How about B? His knowledge of God's word. We got some B takers. All right. Good. All right. How about C? The quality of his love. All right. And then D, the stewardship of his money. Anybody? How about B and D, knowledge of God's word and stewardship of his money? Okay, great. Well, I would say the quality of his love. So I think more hands went up there, and I thought this is a theologically astute audience. I guess if my answer is right, um, may not be. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. When I talked with Joe about doing this, um, he suggested a title, and I prayed about it, and I really felt good about it, and that's what I'm going to speak about. And he felt like a good theme for us would be man of God, man of the house, living faith in the grace of God. So I first wanted us to start thinking about what is a man of God? How do we define a man of God? And I really do think it's uh, the quality of his love, but there's really two issues with that that I think make it hard for us as men to really embrace that our godliness is evidenced by the quality of our love. And the first reason is 
Love is painful. Love hurts. This is C.S. Lewis. He says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. I remember as a young father thinking about this theme, thinking about the quality of my love is what evidences me as a dad or as a husband. And thinking, I want to love my girls radically. I've got three girls. Like, I want to give my heart to them fully. I want to be present to them. I want to weep when they weep, rejoice when they rejoice. And I don't want to hold back. I want to risk that. And I thought, I was thinking that a lot of times, the reason we don't love that deeply or richly is because in this world, not everything is finite. Like, people die or people leave. And love hurts. And three weeks ago, I took my oldest daughter away to college. And I said to my wife, about three weeks before she left, I said, it seems to me I'm acting very similar on her way out that, she, that I was acting when she came in. Because when she was first born, what I like to do when my world is chaotic, I like to organize things. And I like to get busy. And I don't know what y'all experienced, if you had kids, what you experienced as they came into your world. But I was feeling the burden of, providing and being a dad, and it felt chaotic to me, not something I could manage. So I got busy running errands and doing things. And about three weeks after my oldest was born, my wife was like, knock, knock, knock. Is anybody there? Like, just come sit with me and talk with me. Like, we've got enough diapers. The lawn is cut enough. Like, just come be with me, okay? Well, as my oldest daughter's departure got closer, I realized that I was making sure she had everything she needed. And like when we went for orientation and measured her desk and we realized it didn't have a hutch, I was like, I'm going to make her a hutch. And I became fixated. I can't tell you how much, how regularly I surfed the Internet to decide what type of hutch I was going to make her for her desk. And I covered over maybe some of what I was feeling by staying busy. And then we dropped her off and we began driving home. And all the emotion I felt came to the surface. And I wept. And Sunday I went into church. I was there about half an hour and I was like, I can't be here. And I just went out and drove around by our old house and by Homewood High School and all the memories I had. And I just felt this sadness of letting her go. And I realized loving her radically and giving her my heart as a dad meant that I was willing to let go and do the pain of letting go and now embrace a new stage. But that's a simple picture that love hurts. So one of the reasons... If, if what defines us as a man of God is to love well, one of the reasons we often back away from that is because it's painful. But I think there's another reason we back away from that. And that's because I don't think we're primarily designed to connect and have deep relationship and simply love. If you go back to the creation mandate, after Adam and Eve were made, God said, rule and subdue and be fruitful and multiply. That's both descriptive and prescriptive, meaning he was like, you're going to want to rule and subdue, you're going to want to be fruitful and multiply. And then he's like, go do that. Go rule and subdue and be fruitful and multiply. Well, what are those two big things? Rule and subdue is bring shape and order to your world. All right? Um, 
find a cure to cancer, make towns like do things that make the world more beautiful, have impact, rule and subdue. And then be fruitful and multiply is be connected. You're social creatures. Get married, have families, create towns, cities. You're made to be connected. And then after Adam and Eve sinned, God disciplined Adam and Eve. And then this is where we see how men and women are different. Because here's what God said. I gave you the opportunity to trust me from the beginning. Then you didn't trust me. So I'm going to redesign the world. To get what you want, you're going to have to trust me. So he said to the man, you're going to want to have impact. So I'm going to frustrate that. Now, those of you who have kids, when you discipline them, right, you frustrate something they want. I've got teenagers, so if I'm going to discipline them, it's the car and the cell phone. It's not the American Girl doll because they're packed away in the closet. Okay, I'm going to frustrate something they want. So to the man, God said, you're going to want to have impact. You're going to want to make a difference. You're going to want to bring shape and order to your world. And so what I'm going to do is say, you're going to have to deal with futility. Every weed you pull, there'll be two more. You're only going to have impact as you wrestle with the thorns and thistles of life. And I want to ask you all, what, when's the, that day, that last day you woke up when you thought, today's my futility-free day. It's going to go good with my wife. It's going to go good with my kids. It's going to go good at work. Like, I'm just going to move through today without any futility. When's the last day you had that day? I'm assuming you haven't had that day. And here's what the Lord's saying. To be a man of impact, and that's what you want, to bring shape and order. You have to work and look at me. You have to relate and look at me. If the chaos of this world makes you so driven that you work, 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 you may accomplish things, but you won't be a fruitful man. If, on the other hand, the futility of the world causes you to turn away and be passive, you won't be a fruitful man. So we have this option, to work and look at the Lord, to relate and look at the Lord, to kind of, through time, not trust ourselves so much as we trust Him and to be trusting and living by faith at the same time that we're working and living. Okay? So, that all leads to the second reason I think we don't, as men, move towards the quality of love real easily. The first thing I said was, it's painful. So we don't move towards it for that reason. The second reason we don't move towards it is because we want to have impact. We want to make a difference. And what stands in the way of that is futility. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I think about chaos, I think about my wife and my three girls. I, they may not represent chaos to you, but my wife and three girls represent chaos to me. Most of the time, I don't know what to do with them. And I'm a counselor. Now, there's chaos at work. I have chaos at work. <laughs> I have chaos on the golf course. I have chaos everywhere else. But can I tell you, a bad day in golf is not nearly as a bad day with my wife or girls. Right? Okay? So if we want to have impact, where do we choose? Where do we become more determined to have impact? Where it's less painful. All right? So the two big reasons I'm saying we don't naturally move towards God's definition of a godly man, which is the quality of our love, is because it's painful and because it's chaotic and we want to make a difference. So we find other areas, too. So this leads to my definition of a godly man, the first part of what I'm saying. It's this. A man of God is a man who's walking with God in such a way that he lets God love him 
so that he demonstrates God's love to others. Somewhat simple definition. Man of God is someone who's walking with God in such a way that he lets God love him so that he demonstrates God's love to others. I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to come back to the scriptures. Um, I grew up in a home where I would just say there was a significant level of pain in the marital relationship between my parents. And I determined that my marriage was not going to be like that. And my marriage was going to be happy. And so when we began to have difficulty in our marriage, the first thing I did was say it was my wife's fault. And then after that didn't work really well, I began to see that it was also my fault. But what happened was I was like, Lord, from five and six years old, I became determined to make myself as a person who would be a good husband. And I'm so frustrated that it's not working. And so what I did through a lot of the early seasons of my life, I did what the scriptures call lament. And I poured out a lot of my confusion and anger at God. And quite honestly, I wasn't really that nice to him. And you know what happened? He loved me back. And he loved me through it. And he softened my heart. The same way I was afraid to talk back to my dad or be rebellious in any way that our relationship deepened, I did that with the Lord, and he didn't back away. And he was patient and loved me through that. And do you know what happened as a result? Two things. My wife didn't get as much anger because God got some of it. And my wife got a better man because he loved me through that. So, I think a man of God is someone who's been with God, who's walked with God, whose relationship has deepened with God, and out of that, his relationship with others is much different. And I just want you to hear scripturally, if we're really defining that the quality of a man's godliness is his love, I want you to hear it scripturally. It says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But I want to tell you the kind of love God is. I'm not talking about Western romance and feeling good about the people of your life and having all these certain feelings. I'll give you a little tangible picture of what I mean about biblical love or the quality of our love. This was, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago. And I was picking up my middle school daughter after cross country. And she didn't expect me to be the one picking her up. And as I pick her up, she gets in the car and she says, Where's mom? And I was like, I'm sorry you're so sad to see me, Amy. And um, she snuffled, said something else. Now, I really wanted to say, you have no right to talk to me like that. And blah, 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 and lay into her. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I was kind to her, and she jumped on me again. And my anger was getting a little bit stronger. And I didn't say anything. Because honestly, I think the Holy Spirit helped me not to. I tried one more time, a couple of minutes later, didn't say anything. We were about 200 yards from our house, and she says this, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. I don't know why, I just feel so uncomfortable around you. Now when I'm around you, I feel angry, and I don't know what's going on. And here's what I said to her. I didn't say it exactly this way, but to enlarge it. Sweetheart, you're getting hormones. And you're starting to feel like a woman. And women in the presence of the men get angry. No, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> I said, you're feeling things that it's going to take you 15, 20 years to make sense of. But here's what I want you to know. 
that you have the freedom to be angry about around me or at me, and I'm not going anywhere. That's a, that is love that does not take into account a wrong suffered. When I'm talking about the quality of our love makes us a godly man, I'm talking about patience, not acting unbecomingly, not taking into account a wrong suffered, seeking for what's good through difficulty. That kind of love. Okay? Again, scripturally, when it says, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I can look back through the years and see that as I've walked with God and as I have battled with Him and worshipped Him and gotten to know Him, the quality of my love has changed. It's become more perfect. And I don't mean perfect in any sort of behavioral way. I mean perfect in that it's more redemptive. I can love through difficulty toward good. Okay? So, a man of God is someone who's walking with God in a way that he lets God love him so that he demonstrates God's love to others. Okay? Let's check time. Oh, wow. All right. The second thing is a man of the house, a man who becomes more restfully involved with those closest to him in such a way that they trust and depend on him more. That's way too many words. I'm going to make that really short. We really believe that Western romance exists. I want to tell you, Western romance doesn't exist. And your closest relationships are the hardest place for you to demonstrate the quality of your love. Everybody who comes into me and does marital counseling tells me their spouse treats them differently than everyone else. And I'm saying that's because you're not married to anyone else and no one else exposes your sin like your spouse. The hardest place to be who you are is in your marital relationship. So I'll just say this, because of the futility and the pain, we want to do this or we want to do this. If you're walking with the Lord, you just become more involved with those you love. You're able to talk with them in difficulty and not try to fix it really quick or hop out of it really quick. You're just able to ask questions and direct this way and maybe have some patience to go that way. But it's just a level of involvement. There's not time. I didn't, when I just checked time, I realized we don't have tons left. But I'll just say this. If you looked at the passages in the Scriptures to husbands or to fathers, they would all point you towards a better quality of love. Okay? Ephesians 5. A husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church. And then it talks about how Christ gave Himself up sacrificially to help the church become more beautiful. Do you know what's beautiful in a woman's heart? It's a heart that's restful, that's quiet. That's not busy, that's not anxious, that's not afraid. A man, the quality of a man's love as a wife, as he settles into and walks with God and changes, his wife learns to trust him a little bit more, and the chaos in her heart gets diminished. It gets less because of the way her husband is involved with her. All right? There's only uh, two, there's actually three imperative commands to children and parents in the New Testament. Three things in the New Testament that parents and children are told to do. One is, children obey your parents. All right? Which kind of means, listen, you've got these two big people who really care about you. You should listen to them, follow them, respect them, because even though they may not demonstrate it all the time, they have your best interests at heart. And then it says to fathers, it says this, fathers don't aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. 
I'm going to summarize the advice to dads this way. Dads, because you're not as passionate about being fruitful and multiply, because you're not as passionate about relationship, you don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. Just be more thoughtful about how you're relating to your children. Keep trying to grow in the way you relate to your children. That's the advice to dads. And you recognize there's no direct advice to moms. So here's what the New Testament says to moms. Because you think too much about relationship and pay too much attention to it, we're not going to tell you anything because you would just get busier and more controlling. So we're saying, relax, okay? Um, I just want you to see that if godliness is the quality of your love, the hardest place to demonstrate that love is in your family, is in those closest relationships. That doesn't make you a bad dad. That doesn't make you a bad husband. It makes you a man who's dealing with futility and on his best day is never going to get everything right. I'll just say it this way. A good man, a good father, a good husband, because you face futility by the thorns and thistles of life, you have impact. The best man is like a major league hitter. He bats 300. That means seven out of ten times he gets an out. But here's a good man. He says this. This is my wife. These are my kids. This is my family. And I don't care the pain it takes me to love them. I don't care the chaos that's in front of me. I am not going anywhere. And Lord, I'm going to stay in here. And I'm going to stay involved. And I'm going to trust that over time you're going to show up in me. And you're going to help them see the quality of my love. I work with so many men who want their wives to define the quality of their love. And I say when she's not listening, she's way too deceived and way too beat up by Satan to see what good a man you are. And so you need to learn how to feed on the Lord and His words to you. As you're trusting the Lord and He's giving you buoyancy, over time your wife will see the quality of who you are as a man, the quality of how you love. Okay? So, if a man of God is defined by the quality of his love, and the man of the house is involved. He's just more patient, he's kinder, he's more truthful. It's just the family is learning to trust and depend on him more. That's man of God, man of the house. And then if he's um, living faith in the grace of God, I'll say it this way. I want you to think about the definition of faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, and we're certain of what you do not see. Okay? Faith is being sure of what you hope for. But what's hope? Hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait for it. So faith is being sure of what you hope for, but you don't see hope, and more certain of what you do not see. The very quality of faith, the very definition of faith, is walking in mystery with comfort. Walking in mystery with confidence. Now, what men do, because remember how I talked about that pain and that futility and we back away. What you have to learn to do as a man is to look at the quality or lack of quality of relationships in your life, marriage and children. Look at your world. You're going to see brokenness. You're going to see pain. Men like to close their eyes and just get busy or turn away. But I believe faith gives you the ability to see, to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And you look and see Everything is not the way it ought to be. That doesn't make me a bad dad. It doesn't make me a bad husband. It simply makes me a man who can see what's true. Faith, real faith, the ability to give you, the ability for you to see what's right in front of you, actually arouses your heart to need more of the Lord. 
Faith is becoming more certain of who we do not see. The more brokenness I see in this world, the more I see that I can't make everything right in my marriage and family, the more I say this, God have mercy on me. God have mercy on me. If a man deals with futility by getting busy or by turning away, this is the posture you're trying to learn as a man. And this is the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is not this. The fear of the Lord is this. Lord, I've seen how much I've messed up. I've seen the mess that I'm in, that everything isn't the way it ought to be. And yet, you're still helping us. And you're still being kind. Like, Lord, in all your strength and all your goodness and all your kindness, like you're going to give that to us to help, help us get better, even though we never do it all that well? The fear of the Lord is like if you were playing basketball and LeBron James showed up, you would throw him the ball and say, LeBron, where are we going? So faith is this. God, I can see everything in front of me. And I see the brokenness that I can't fix. But it makes me cling to you. It makes me hope in you. It makes me say, Lord, unless you keep showing up, unless your mercies are new every morning, not only do I not have any hope, but this family has no hope. So that's faith. The grace of God is this. Okay, Three clarion calls from the Reformation. Only faith, only grace, only Scripture. Scripture gives us the way to go. Those commands that I read about fathers and husbands, I know y'all well enough, because I know myself and everyone else, to know that you don't keep treating your wife with understanding as with a weaker vessel. You do at times, but you fail. I know that you don't sacrifice for your wife like Christ did for the church. I know you do at times. But I know that law of perfection, you don't measure up to that. Okay, So the way Scripture points us to go, you don't do that perfectly. It tells us how to go. In fact, the Scriptures, the, the commands to fathers and husbands are the very things that would be hard for us to do. Notice that the Scriptures didn't tell you guys to hang out with guys, drink beer, and eat pizza, because God knew you would do that. Okay, He's reminding you of the things that are hard to do that you're never going to measure up to. So if Scripture is this, it, it tells us how to go, and faith says, keep walking in mystery. Here's what grace says. Just keep practicing. You're never going to get it right. Don't be afraid to see where you get it wrong. A good father, a good husband, who's someone, as I said earlier, is just determined, I'm not going to give up. And I believe as I keep walking with Jesus, and He keep changes me, keeps changing me very slowly, that everybody around me is going to see more clearly not who I am, but who you are, and then able to embrace me more fully, um, more affectionately. So if, I'll say it real simple, my simple definition for our theme is this. A man of God and a man of the house whose living faith in the grace of God is this. A man buoyed by God who remains involved with those he loves through difficulty, because he trusts a love he can't earn or deserve more than he does his own wisdom and effort. Do you know what the futility that you keep running into is supposed to do to you? It's supposed to say, stop trying so hard. Stop being so upset and disappointed when everyone around you doesn't think you do it great because you're just a man. All right? That's being buoyed by God. Paul, when he said, I trust in God's grace in weaknesses and insults and persecutions is, I'm going to keep running into difficulty. It doesn't define who I am. I rest in who Jesus is. That's my buoyancy. So a man buoyed by God who remains involved with those he loves through difficulty because he trusts a love he can't earn or deserve 
more than he does his own wisdom or effort. Now, I think more so than many years ago in my wife's disappointment or even my children's disappointment, I believe two things. One, try not to take that so personally. And because the Lord's going to keep helping things get better, they're going to see more clearly what the truth is. At times, you don't have to help them to get that. Just keep walking. And as you walk and trust the Lord and He changes you, they will see more clearly what's really true. Okay? All right. That's a lot of words, a lot of concept. We got a good 10, 13, 14 minutes to interact if there's any questions or anything. Um, sometimes when I teach, I know questions can be hard, but I'd love to try to interact with some. Or even just reflections. Anything? Anybody? I would say this. I would say for a child to not be walking in faith the way you want is a really painful thing. I'd want to give you permission to feel that pain. But then I'd want you to pay attention to what you are doing. And here's what I mean. What I heard you say was, she's not exactly where I would want her to be. And yet I'm not shoving it down her throat. She knows what I want for her. And I'm trying to just be kind to her. That is the best thing you can do. I mean, if you want her to see and experience the Lord, you're a big thing in her life. You're her father. If you're able to be kind to her in this period, it says this, that kindness is what leads us to repentance. That's what changes us. Maybe you're being a picture of the Lord that she needs to see by simply being kind and waiting for the Lord to do His work. When we're in suffering, when we're in difficulty, our first response is to think we should do more. We're not doing enough instead of taking hold of what we are doing. And the little you said, I think you're doing a lot by simply trying to be kind. Why you hurt for her? Hardest thing is when our children are hurting and we can't make it better. It's really hard. Or make them do what we want them to do. Anybody else? Any other? I'll say, a lot of times I, um, I tell guys that what we need to do to love our wives when they don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Grace, grace changes hearts. Yeah. And what I what I find in my own marriage is that, that when I, I'm going to love love Amy when she doesn't deserve it, um, but I expect that within within two or three months there's going to be a favorable outcome. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Me. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yes. And then I don't get that outcome, and I get really frustrated because what what was actually grace was what I thought was grace or. I really wanted to be graced was actually manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, strategy is a good mm-hmm. word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm just curious how you, if you see that in, in a lot of uh, a lot of folks, and 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I would say this that you've articulated what we're all like, and I don't think like I don't even think it's a bad strategy. I think it's the right strategy to try to be kind to your wife and offer her grace. Okay, and our good intentions, like over time, like all that really shows is two things: you can grow in offering grace, and your wife can grow in receiving grace. You haven't yet arrived. There's just a more distant to keep walking. So to someone I would say, and that's where I would want you, like your wife's probably not able to say this, but I would want you to hear the Lord saying, <laughs> I would, and this is what I meant by hearing what the Lord says to you. Like I would want you to hear the Lord say, Joe, that's the right direction and you did really well. Like the fact that it, it didn't exactly happen and unfold the way you wanted just because we're in a fallen world. Like just keep doing that. Um, I think marriage is often like climbing a mountain that the higher you climb, the more work it takes, but you also look out and you see a whole lot more beauty. Like marriage is a never-ending journey. I think as we stay at it, we get to places that are more beautiful as we keep climbing. And then you look back and you realize, I wasn't foolish for trying to offer my wife grace. That was a good start. As I kept doing that a little bit more, we got to a higher place. So... There's no, uh, the hard thing to live with, this is uh, Romans 8, it says this, and even we Christians who have the Holy Spirit within us is a foretaste of future glory, grown to be released from pain and suffering. We too it anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as His children. When the Holy Spirit came in us, we realized we were made for ultimate beauty and perfection. But there's not a moment or a relationship in this world that models that, so that's the groaning. And just, oh, Lord, we want to be in that perfect world. So these moments, like there's a moment as a couple where you experience that real beauty and then that helps you, that causes you to feel like we've arrived, we're never going to have any more pain again. But then you'll be back in some pain a little bit because you groan and then you keep moving. It's two steps up, one step back. Two steps up, one step back. What we tend to do is when it's good, we don't celebrate it. You really need to celebrate when you're doing well as a family, as a couple. When it's not so good, you tend to work harder, and that makes it worse. Just groan and sorrow like we're not doing great right now. Lord, hold us and help us. So. Anybody else? Any other? Yeah. ask you this, like, what have you actually demonstrated to your sister-in-law and to your nephew? In terms of your actions, what have you actually demonstrated? Well, it's a little difficult because uh, 3,800 plus miles away. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but you haven't, like... Oh, yeah, we Right. But you haven't driven out and, like, all right, I'm going to smack that some sense into that dude's head and into her head. Like... Okay. 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 Yeah. What? I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, I believe. Here's here's what. If 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 you are asking, I forget what was the question you asked. What you start off asking? Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It seems. And see, here's the thing. I think you're demonstrating love, but I don't think it feels like that to you. Okay. That's the issue. Here's what it says in First John four. It says that what we do demonstrates our love. And then it says, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. I believe you're being, because of the dysfunction, you're being tempted to just become a bulldozer. And you're refraining from that. You're fighting temptation. But it feels to you like you're not loving because you're fighting temptation. You're getting beat up in loving them. So, yeah. So I'm really saying you are loving them. Celebrate that and enjoy that. Don't listen to the lies and the condemnation in your heart. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. You guys, <laughs> I work with people like y'all, day in and day out, who love Jesus and love each other. And they keep doing the things they shouldn't do, and the things they ought to do they don't do, and then they conclude that they're bad people because of how they process what they do. Let me give you another example. My girls are two, four, and six, three, five, and seven. It's the season of our life when I would come home and they wanted to wrestle, and we would even play I'm the man. I would put pillows in my shirt and they would try to knock me over. You know, I'm the man. It was really good for my ego because they couldn't knock me over, okay? It's a little funny. All right. Anyway, about 45, 50 minutes, we're just having, cutting up. I see them laughing, having a great time. And then I get up from that time as we go to dinner. The Holy Spirit says to me, Gordon, why don't you ever remember these times? Why is it late at night that you're obsessing over being a bad father? And all the Holy Spirit say to me, there's as much good as there is wrong, but you hold on to the wrong because your flesh magnifies it. We have an evil presence inside of us that beats us up and lies to us and deceives us, and half the time we listen to it like it's real. And I felt the Lord saying, Gordon, even your memory is affected by the flesh, which you hold on to what's honorable, right, and true that's so that you live with more buoyancy and more hope. What I just said to you was, you're loving them. Take ownership of that and don't listen to what evil's telling you. Stand up and say, I'm loving them so that you live with more passion and more life. All right? All right. Anybody else? I think we're getting close. We've, we've got to finish, right? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, all right. Guys, uh, Gordon's uh, books are, are in the bookstore. I'd love to have to order more. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for uh, for what you've given to us today. A real gift. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. So, bless you. Thank you. Thank you.